Hello, my friends. Today we're talking to Chris, Solutions Engineering Manager at Help Systems. And we discuss how Help Systems Managed File Transfer Platform enables organizations to easily and securely transfer files, tips for staying motivated professionally, and how to transfer culture into the remote environment as best as possible. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So how did you get started in tech? Have you always been in managed file transfer? <laughs> I went to school for professional golf management, had my, my first Golf born. like the sport? Golf like the sport. Yep. All right. Um, <laughs> And uh, I had my firstborn in college and needed to, you know, adopt some, some responsibility to, to pay the bills and make sure he was taken care of. And so while I was still in school, I, I started working at uh, Wells Fargo uh, at the time. And you know, I started as a teller, which was a good introduction to a professional environment and moved into um, kind of like a CSR, they called it, or it's like a step towards banker, but not quite, you know, full-blown banker and loans and lending and all that good stuff. And uh, after about another six months, I got into the personal banking side of things. And I really appreciate that experience because it laid a foundation for personal finance that, you know, I definitely didn't get from university. Fast forward a little bit and I got into the business banking side of things. And one of my clients someday just said, hey, you whip around on the computer pretty good. Are you interested in technology? And so he uh, told me a little bit about what he did. He was actually in the financial, um, you know, software industry. You know, pretty large company uh, in the financial sector. They've got a lot of niche uh, financial applications that help with uh, what I was in was check processing, which uh, at the time, you know, I was like, well, tech's not going anywhere. I happened to be at that institution when some of the things that have come out in the news. Uh, we're going on and, and I felt a little convicted, you know, at my core and was like, this sounds like a great opportunity. I've, I've done this for almost three years now and it's time to move into something else. And so, uh, that opportunity was how I got started in tech. Uh, spent a couple years in the, uh, the way they oriented the team was technical support and professional services. You'd do both. You'd go out and implement on trips, you know, once or twice a month. You'd support the solution and build out what you were going to do when you went on trips. Usually there was a, a mock, you know, is the solution fitting our needs? And then a live week where we'd go back out and make sure that everything was operating smoothly. Because, you know, at the end of the day, while, while it was checks and check processing, I mean, that's still uh, payments and important, you know, back-end processes. So... Um, I did that for a couple of years. I, I enjoyed it. It got me intrigued in tech. And then uh, there happened to be an opening in my hometown for this company that I didn't know a whole lot about uh, managed file transfer. I had done some FTP, you know, command prompt stuff uh, while I was working for that uh, entity. And, you know, I, I didn't, that's about the extent of my knowledge, right? I I would say I knew how to use uh, a fair bit of software, but my a lot of I guess solutions that are niche, you tend to you know so, sometimes you or some people tend to memorize 
what that product does and then repeat, right? And, you know, and when you work for a larger company, uh, that can be a struggle to, you know, get outside of kind of your, your lane or what your team's lane is, um, you know, to push yourself. And, you know, I think some of that challenges the way that extremely large companies, you know, function. And, uh, you know, the other side of that is, uh, I guess, probably my own lens changing over the last decade of working for more of a startup type company where, you know, whether you want to or not, you're going to wear different hats, you're going to get exposure to some of those other things. And then I guess the beauty of that is you can pick and choose uh, what it is that you want to, you know, put your, your energy into. And so uh, that was eight. That was eight years ago, and it's been a wild ride. So uh, I started in technical support, uh, you know, helping customers ultimately remedy some of their solutions. That said, I was a 23rd employee, so we had recently, like a year prior to me starting, we had hired someone to kind of focus on our professional services arm of the business, and we still had that person as well as our owner. Uh, that we're doing the majority of product demonstrations and proof of concepts sessions with our prospective customers. And so, um, you know, over, I, you know, I, I think I conveyed this earlier, over the course of the last eight years, like our worst year of growth has been, well, it was COVID year of 20%, uh, year over year growth, which, you know, is, is very respectable in that year. But Every other year has been anywhere from 32 to 45% year over year growth and in, in new revenue. And so, you know, some of those duties and responsibilities as we were maturing, we were adding more resources. I, you know, I was grateful for the time of being stretched thin and having to wear different hats because it gave me a perspective of, you know, how, how do I want to help customers? Like I've, you could say being in maybe that teller role, that banker role, it instilled uh, one of the presidents of that time at Wells Fargo had made a comment to me. It stuck with me all these years. And it's at the end of the day, your customers are the ones paying your bills, right? So, you know, a very respectful approach and a customer first approach, you know, is a necessary and, and the right way to conduct yourself. But B, it's also the the way that you create value and, and I think establish, you know, a, a helpful and, you know, growth oriented organization. So, so yeah, that's uh, that's how I got my start in MFT. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a really basic understanding of managed file transfer. Uh, can you just give me the overview of like what problem does it solve for companies? Uh, like what why are why are people seeking it out? Absolutely, I think it's. Um, I'd be remiss not to almost kind of give you a little bit of a historical rundown of how you know, uh, we'll get to what a modern day MFT platform looks like. But uh, in essence, the problem that, uh, you know, when this, when these solutions started to come to market, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 years ago, uh, the main problem that they were solving was uh, a lot of existing, there wasn't really a platform that was, you know, a unified central point, uh, you know, of access, of uh, design, of auditing, it was mainly done through you know customized scripts and you know mature customers. They may have had a team of engineers working on that and and tried to almost custom design a bit of their own MFT platform. But you know the main challenge you're faced with is 
You don't have great oversight and auditing when everything's homegrown. And then it's also very expensive to maintain that, right? Uh, developers, I mean, when I think to 20 years ago, I mean, I, I would have been, <laughs> I'd have been 13 years old. So uh, I'm not entirely I, certain I don't have the same technical background that you do of uh, growing up in the programming realm, but I know how much has changed in the last decade. And I have to imagine that, you know, back then, as these solutions came to light, developers and programmers needed to focus on maybe bigger and important tasks for the organization as wider IT uh, adoption was occurring, right? And so, you know, a lot of these files that people invest the time and energy to create some of these homegrown scripts around, you know, they are kind of your your backbone of data flow through the organization, right? It's usually mission critical data that's being transmitted, uh, at least when you plan on using, you know, say you're writing something in, uh, I don't know, Python or uh, you're writing shell scripts and Unix Linux systems and you're scheduling the execution on a, you know, a cron scheduler. So you're using some of the native tools, right, that the OS provides to you. But how that scales over time, right, or as you need to pull a developer out into another project, are you going to hire a developer to pick up the reins of that? So that market problem was, you know, expensive, costly, not great oversight and, you know, the first iterations of MFT solutions from what I've, I've studied and, and knowing kind of where we got our start was how do we, how do we make it so you don't have to be a programmer per se, having programming experience will make your, you know, uh, platform solutions stronger, but how do we ultimately make it easy for a customer, you know, to bring a non-programming you know, salary often, or, you know, can, where can we put that person's energy and instead have people who are, you know, solid technical resources, but maybe, you know, don't have that programming backdrop, uh, make it easy for them to understand and set up some of these basic things like sending a file on a, you know, weekly basis to a vendor for payroll information over the SFPB protocol. That's a very basic use case of one of these MFT platforms in especially in the early days, it was a lot of just designing those specific workflows uh, that maybe didn't do a whole lot. Maybe it grabs, you know, from a uh, NFS or a, a NAS device on that Linux operating system, grabs that file, moves it into the platform, and then sends it out the door over SFTP. Maybe it sends you an error, you know, an error, goes into an error routine, sends you an email notification, letting you know your process has been broken. That's kind of like the core nuts and bolts that started uh, some of these MFT platforms. Now, it's not just... So that would be, if we're talking about you know typical client-server relationship uh, side of the, the house, right? That would have kind of comprised the client side. And then the server side, you know, people have leveraged, I mean, still to this day, sometimes we'll see prospective customers who are using like your native uh, SSH daemon on a Linux or Unix system. And that's, you know, supporting their current inbound file transfers. Often with that, you've got, again, not, not great visibility and auditing uh, on that sys tool. And then the other side of the coin, I would say is, you know, are you, where are you storing your data then? Uh, you're either stopping that connection usually in the DMZ layer uh, or you're punching a hole in your firewall 
and allowing internet traffic to connect into <laughs> your internal network where your sensitive data is at. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the uh, the server side and the client side of you know what what problems existed and why I you know I believe MFT solutions came to market. So we've explained kind of the market uh, reason why you'd look at an MFT platform, right? Centralizing, making it easy to have a tool that handles a lot of your data transfers in and out. But I would be remiss not to explain, I guess, the uh, how these applications extend um, as they've evolved into their modern state. So, you know, instead of just file transfers specifically, there's a lot of neat things that these uh, platforms do now. And they're often, for enterprise customers, kind of the backbone of a centralized file or data movement uh, with auditing and just a myriad of different protocols uh, that, that they support and are therefore you know, used for some deployments upwards of you know, multiple millions of files per day you know, that can be flagged. Uh, can be quarantined if you know we scan them and find out there's malicious content in them. So uh, far exceeds you know the initial scope of uh, kind of scripting or receiving files uh, using like a native SSH daemon. So you know with that said, just to kind of give you a couple workflow examples that uh, would help you know your audience hopefully understand what do these MFT platforms uh, do you know more succinctly. Uh, I'll give you two examples. So one simple one we'll go with is, let's say every hour throughout the day, uh, Monday through Friday, I need to look at look for files in a particular folder. Let's say it's a network share location or an S3 bucket, a repository of some sort. Uh, when a file becomes available in that, I need to invoke a process that will take that file, will PGP encrypt that file, will send that file out the door to my trading partner using, let's say, the SFTP protocol or the HTTPS protocol. Both of those are pretty common file transfer protocols that we see. Maybe it's REST as an extension of HTTPS. And then if I run into an issue, I'm going to notify my operations team that we've had an error encountered. And maybe I want to include the job log with that or you know, the, a debug log of the error message that was encountered. Uh, maybe that needs to go to a SIM tool. Those are different ways that a customer could leverage uh, the workflow of a modern MFT platform. But let's also then give you, on the flip side of that, uh, if I have a trading partner, say I'm hosting an SFTP server, I'm hosting an HTTPS server through my MFT platform, a good modern MFT platform will have an enhanced uh, reverse proxy that sits out in the DMZ so you don't have to punch a hole in your firewall. I'm grateful that both of our MFT platforms and help systems offer that. Uh, and so we can stop a connection in the DMZ and we leverage a communication channel from the internal network to the DMZ to effectively have like a control, ta- control channel, data channel relationship where we stream that data internally. So we're never storing that data in the DMZ. And uh, once that file has been uploaded to our SFTP or HTTPS server, we have automation built in that's event-driven automation. Uh, Say it's a PGP-encrypted file from a bank. There's a lot of large banks that still do transmissions using encrypted layer, uh, communication layer, as well as object layer. So file, 
oriented encryption as well as the communication channel uh, kind of gives you the best of both worlds. So I get that file, it's PGP encrypted, and now I have a workflow that's going to automatically be invoked. It's going to decrypt that file. Let's say that file is in CSV format, and I need to get that data inside you know, to some of my backbone applications. Um, usually a customer would do something like decrypt that, write that file um, to the database, which we have through a number of uh, ETL tasks or data translation tasks. So we could read that CSV file. We could insert contents of that CSV file or the whole CSV file into a backend database. We could take that CSV file and move it out to maybe a long-term storage repository. And we can send an email notification letting either the trading partner know or an internal party know that this process has been completed. Uh, we also could invoke another programmer script if, if at that point, uh, once it was in the database, you know, maybe there's a stored procedure that needs to run to interface with, again, a backbone application. So that's just an example of some of the things that we could do. If we ran into an error with that, we could catch that error and we could send an email notification, an SMS notification. We could open up a Zendesk ticket, a Jira ticket. Uh, you know, that's some of the functionality that GoAnywhereMFT and GlobalScape EFT offer to customers leveraging those platforms. So I just felt like it, it was good to give you some context of where it started in humble beginnings to how does it get to this kind of enterprise scale, um, you know, of, of an MFT platform. So. Hope that helps. Cool. So you you actually joined Help Systems through an acquisition. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Cool. So what was the Lenoma Software? That was the company before. What what were you doing there, and what did Help Systems like bring to the table that you were excited about uh, during the acquisition? That was in I got it actually right here, 2016, June nice. of 2016. Like I said, we've been growing since uh, I joined really like gangbusters and we had just moved into a new building. We were really starting to, it felt like catch stride. We had new employees that seemed like starting every other week. Uh, so just real vibrant and exciting atmosphere. And, you know, anytime, like I said, I, I had left a bigger company primarily out of, I guess, just Honest, honestly, boredom. Uh, you know, I just gotten past the point of learning a bunch of new things, and then I get thrown into this world where, you know, I had a couple of anxiety attacks my first uh, for the first time ever in my life in the first six months because I just felt, you know, so out of my element and what I knew, and you know, there was a lot of perseverance needed to to get through that, and a lot of longer hours. But you know, once. I guess everything by 2016 was gelling. It felt like we were in a good state. And then I hear we're getting acquired uh, by our, our former owner. And, you know, his whole goal was I, when I designed this product, I really wanted to get to, at that point, I think it was 10 million in annual sales. And we were somewhere, oh gosh, we were somewhere around five or 6 million at that point. And, you know, we knew we had some international partners, but we didn't have the vast ecosystem that Help Systems uh, did. And so, you know, it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, Help Systems came in, and many people who are on our executive team today were in that very first meeting. Uh, the CEO at the time, uh, Chris, and their CFO Dan came down and talked with all of us, and you know, it was very personal. And you know, we 
we had a good feeling about things. They explained why they wanted to acquire us. Uh, we were, you know, ultimately an up and coming, you know, contender in the enterprise managed file transfer space, and they had resources and wherewithal, knowledge, resources, all that good stuff that you need to, you know, as you're scaling quickly, make the right decisions that only continue that growth and. You know, some some of your smaller companies have trial and error to get to that point. And so I viewed, you know, there was obviously some initial reservation, like, you know, I think is normal when you get used to a smaller group. But, you know, we didn't even have 100 people dedicated to that product. I, I was employee 23. I think by 2016, we'd have been sitting somewhere around like 55 to 60 total people. And at this point, you know, in help systems, we're over 200 people uh, spread out throughout the world focused on our managed file transfer uh, solutions. So it's, yeah, you know, what help systems really gave us, I would say was just a, a deeper bench knowledge and resources that uh, you know, helped us scale and, and grow and make the right decisions. You know, the marketing engine was phenomenal. And that uh, I'm sure you know a, a fair bit of sales qualified leads. Uh, you know, we're all using the internet nowadays to scope out <laughs> yeah. what it is we're interested in. And so marketing is a, a huge asset. So yeah, it's it's been a very positive journey. But at the time, sorry, I didn't answer your entire question there. So I was still doing a little bit of professional services, on-site implementation uh, here and there, and then technical support. I was when we were acquired, I was a senior uh, support analyst, and again, small company, multiple hats. So even though I was primarily in support, we didn't have support services, you know, solutions engineering. It was kind of your customer facing and your technical and you're going to wear multiple hats. So, but yeah, so at that point I was, I was helping a little bit with um, my manager at the time was uh, also a developer for one of our other solutions that uh, came with the acquisition of Linoma software. And so I was helping a little bit on uh, some management items or projects that he, he had for the team. And so it was shortly after the acquisition that I actually took the jump into leadership uh, fully under help systems. Nice. Like a matter of two months. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. So what's your, what's your day-to-day like today? A lot's changed over the years as, as help systems has gotten bigger, as the MFT uh, teams have, you know, gotten a little more focused in what their specific department does. I currently lead the solutions engineering department. So that would be, you know, some people may call it sales engineering or pre-sales my team members primarily, you know, partner with prospective customers. We try to demonstrate, uh, you know, well, first elicit, you know, what are, why are you on the market? What problems are you trying to solve? Uh, where are your current pain points? And then demonstrate, you know, solutions to those pain points specifically. So uh, once we do a demo, uh, you know, if the, if the prospective customer is interested, then we'll move from there into a uh, proof of value series of sessions. So uh, you may uh, hear the term proof of concept. We like to think of it as proof of value. You know, there's a linguistic implication to, you know, I, I like to challenge each of my team members how, if you're working with someone who's experiencing X, Y, and Z pain points uh, from their current platform they're on, you know, how do we prove value in them investing and in making a switch to us? And so, 
that's why we we turn we coined that term proof of value rather than proof of concept. But we also do webinars. We help marketing with blog posts. Uh, we often do technical updates or cadence calls. You may have heard the two terms, but really just uh, you know checking in on customers, seeing how's the solution working for you. You know any additional pain points that you have surfacing. And you know, ultimately explaining what's new in the solution. You know, we are in the data security space, and there's uh, constantly, you know, sec- uh, security, I guess, vulnerabilities happening across, you know, just the industry as a whole. And you know, like I look at things like, uh, well, when I started in 2016, there was the infamous uh, SSL version three Poodle vulnerability. And, you know, uh, any good MFT platform, you know, is, is going to have that patched. And in our case, it's typically been within a week. Uh, we're pretty fast at uh, getting security fixes out there. And so anytime, you know, that one's a major one. You know, it's a good opportunity to drive home what's ultimately the goal of solutions engineering. And I think that's to be kind of a, a trusted advisor, if you will, to customers that feeling of, you know, I've got another problem or I've got an initiative coming and I want to reach out to my partner at Help Systems because maybe they'll have an idea, you know, be it with our solution or, you know, a strategy they could implement that helps them ultimately solve that problem. And so we like to think of those tech updates as, you know, we need to point out small things like, oh, hey, that version you're on, you know, FYI, that library in there, it did have a vulnerability. We need to get you upgraded as soon as you can. And um, so, yeah, that's that's primarily what I focus on today. So being on the sales side of things, what are some common objections you see come up in your sales process at that? And how do you respond to those? You know, I on the heels of the comment about our year-over-year growth that we've had, you know, I, I consider myself very, very fortunate to have the, the sales leadership that I've grown to know over the last eight years in that, you know, we're very focused on, um, it's not a sales or I, like I've worked, I was at Wells Fargo, like I was telling you kind of at the height of some of their salesy pushing, pushing, pushing. And it's always been extremely refreshing to me that, you know, we're having these awesome years of growth and we're not a hyper, you know, burnout sales culture at all. Um, our prior owner was very rooted in, you know, we're going to find the right solutions to customers. We're going to be prescriptive. He always wanted me uh, when I was leading support or services before to just, you know, raise up technical knowledge in your group and be education first, right? And trust that that process is going to lead to, you know, customers having faith in you. So, to be honest, um, the, usually I, the only objections really are probably just, um, you know, we, we can't get to, uh, well, let's eventually talk about this MFT, this concept of an MFT maturity model, uh, because they do a ton of things. And usually, like if there was to be an objection, it would be, well, I can't either, I don't have budget or the resources to invest in getting to an enterprise grade MFT you know, posture out of the gate. Um, maybe I don't have the time to do the migration for that, or uh, again, I don't have the budget to do that all at once. And so, but honestly, from a technical standpoint, it it's very rare 
And that might be hard to believe, but it's very rare that we don't do some, you know, exactly uh, what the customer is looking for and more. And, you know, I, if you had to liken this to a, a particular tool, it's like a Swiss army knife of uh, tools. And you maybe heard me use the term platform rather than application, because, you know, it really is a bit of a, you know, we've got customers that have development teams oriented around the solution, uh, you know, because they're, you know, transmitting well over a million files a day outbound and inbound, and they're constantly adding new partners or new business initiatives. And so, um, it's a very flexible tool. And I think to that point, that helps, you know, beat back some of the typical objections of, well, it's great, it can do X, Y, and Z, but we really need, you know, this one little bit. So thankfully, we don't have a whole lot of showstoppers. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I feel like you're a great person to ask this question. Um, given our audience of tech leaders and CTOs, um, what are some things that the CTO of an organization can do to better support the sales team, especially selling like a highly technical product like like you work on selling? The you know as I think about just the landscape of security and all the tools and and thank I mean thankfully all the processes that have you know, been been spinning up over the last decade as cybersecurity has continued to heat up in terms of, you know, importance in terms of, you know, the amount of news and media coverage on cybersecurity hacks, right? And so I think if I was in a CTO's shoes and I wanted to support the sales process, I'd really focus on having a scalable and well-documented um, process around legal, you know, type uh, yeah, legal and we'll just say security measures, right? Um, anytime you get an extensive RFP or, you know, RFI or a customer wants to understand your vulnerability mitigation process, like if you're having to, you know, hop on a lot of those phone calls to discuss that and you don't have processes in place that make it easy for your sales organization, right, to use the tools you've made available to, you know, put customers or prospective customers' minds at ease, you're, you're going to create a bit of a bottleneck over time. And so um, I've been really pleased with how Help Systems has added to this team. Again, things that change and evolve. And in 2016, uh, we didn't have a CISO. And, uh, you know, we have an awesome CISO now. We've got a, a great legal team, uh, you know, backing him and, and his team. So, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, it's a problem we've been able to avoid, but I could see it being a problem or I've worked with customers where, you know, we're waiting three to four weeks. Sometimes they're frustrated because they just want to get their team moving on the initiative, but they're waiting on, you know, their security or legal teams. So I would say getting those, uh, those items in order, you know, I guess on both sides of the fence uh, leads to, you know, we're creatures of habit. We often take the path of least resistance. And so if, if that is a blocker for people, you know, I think eradicating some of those hurdles, you know, helps with uptick uh, in, you know, your engagement. And then I guess from our side of the fence, from a sales organization's perspective, uh, you know, you don't want to discourage your, <laughs> your folks that are helping, uh, you know, drive the, the bottom line, I guess. So, yeah. No, that's really useful advice. Thank you, man. 
So I I want to talk a little bit about earlier you mentioned um, like when you joined the company, when you left from the the bigger company that you're kind of bored at and you came and you really got to stretch your brain and have those high anxiety moments that that taught you a lot. What were some things that you struggled with early on and how did you get to overcome them? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the main, I guess, uh, after having a few more children with my wife, we had twins uh, in 2016. And, you know, I think part of that is stress uh, induced for sure. You know, I think I was delving into technology that was completely foreign to me. And there was a lot to it. Um, You know, for instance, when I having brought almost like 30 people into the organization through support over the years, you know, I've been able to see, you know, what uh, different people do that have success. And some of it is, you know, do you have prior programming experience because we have a workflow engine that, you know, isn't, it's not program. It's not a programming language. It's almost like a file transfer specific programming tool though, where, you know, instead of, um, I, I mean, you can create like complex expressions through it. There's functions that you can leverage, but if you don't have any form of background in programming, like that's a daunting thing to expect someone to pick up and uh, and learn. And so, but on top of that, you got to know networks. You have to know uh, we're a cross-platform solution. So Linux, Unix, Windows, Solaris, uh, you know, IBMI or AS400. That was actually the product that we were kind of bred out of. And something that helps systems is you know, been celebrating 40 years in business kind of started around as the AS400. So, um, you know, I think it's just, and then you're learning file transfer protocols on top of that. You're learning some of our uh, ETL or extract, uh, transform and, and load type tasks that are parsing. So you have to understand different file formats and how protocols impact, you know, end of line characters. There's a, just a lot of technology that, you know, you kind of get thrust into and it's very much an ocean. And so what I've found over the years is you really have to find like people come from different, you know, roles previously or different college experience. And usually there's a few things that they gravitate to. you got to find those wins, you know, soon. And you got to try to get, you know, newer teammates who are building their confidence reps at those things to instill confidence, right? And thankfully, the way our product is broke out, it's, you know, it is a modularized uh, MFT platform. So you don't have to, again, purchase the whole thing. You're going to have, you know, say inbound transfers over SFTP or ad hoc transfers into, you know, an application kind of like Dropbox. We have a module like that. So some of those things that are easier for people to grasp onto, you know, you you get that down and then you build your knowledge base from there. So that's why I was having some of that anxiousness as it was just a, a very big, um, and remember again, I was the 23rd employee. We didn't exactly have the same in structure, uh, that we got once we had more resources, you know, with help systems backing and more best practices that they did, uh, you know, to help people onboard quicker. And so for me getting through that process, um, it's a good, it's a good thing I suppose to talk about in terms of um, when I think about my prior roles and how willing I, I remember being to stay 
you know, willingly after 5 p.m., you know, it was kind of a, I smile thinking back to, you know, 4.59, 5 o'clock rolls around and that place was just loaded trying to get out of that building. The parking lot was jammed up. Uh, in retrospect, I should have uh, just stayed a little later because then I wouldn't have had to deal with the parking lot issues. But <laughs> um, when I joined Lenoma Software, it was the first place I'd worked at where I was looking at the clock to like figure out how much more I could tackle before the day, before like I needed to be out of there to you know be home with my wife or uh, you know out with family or friends for whatever events were planned. And um, honestly, there was a, a period there where we were really growing. We had a you know fair backlog of cases, and I just started I started waking up earlier and coming into work earlier. And that was when it was quiet, and I was able to think you know more. And so you know I. I, I've read a number of different studies over the years that, you know, talk about the people who just like incrementally do about 10% more. I've seen different figures, but you know, the, the main takeaway is usually those people are the ones who then, you know, it's reciprocated and they're, they're making either the promotions or getting, you know, a higher percent raise. Again, there's a lot of figures out there. Um, but that concept, you know, I think really paid dividends. And I've really kind of adopted that as a permanent working style. I, I love my early mornings. When I had kids and had little rugrats running around as well, that's the only time I had peace and quiet. So that it's helped to, to keep that. But yeah, that that's how I got through it personally. You know, and then the culture I was a part of as well had uh, a very work hard, play hard mentality. Like we used to play foosball pre-COVID. Nice. Uh, we used to play foosball over breaks. You know, our, our prior owner, when we were renovating this new building, he had a badminton court set up on this old, uh, there was this stage and kind of gymnasium layout and all it was all being worked on um, by contractors, like the whole building. We were playing badminton with some of the developers and, and some of the sales folks and, and just anyone who wanted to play in the company. And so, you know, like if you're, if you're taking an hour and a half lunch to go and do something like that, then to work a half an hour, hour earlier in the morning, no big deal. Right. But it, it just kind of, I feel that when an environment works that way, instead of the rigid eight to five structure, people want to go above and beyond and the more autonomy they feel, uh, you know, the more likely they are to, I think, do a better job and, and be engaged in their work. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it sounds like it was a really great in-office culture when you joined. How, and obviously everybody had to go remote in the past couple of years. How did you guys translate that culture to the remote environment? Yeah, that's a a very great question. Um, And honestly, I've been looking for, uh, I've been looking for some podcasts on, you know, how do we, I don't know. It's like facial cues and body language and communication. It's been something that, you know, um, I guess when we look at the time span of human beings on earth, we haven't operated in a situation where we're not face-to-face communicating for very long. I mean, like a sliver on the time scale, right? So I'm personally a little skeptical on how you can fully, um, you know, recreate uh, some of the same benefits that you get of person-to-person communication. But at the same time, I live in, I live in Nebraska. I don't have to deal with, uh, you know, the commuting 
traffic, uh, you know, issues that some of my colleagues who had to drive maybe an hour and a half one way to get into the office in the Twin Cities where our headquarters are at. Or, you know, if I'm out in LA and it's, I've had some colleagues in the past there talk about, it's almost faster to ride my bike uh, or it is faster to ride my bike into the office and sit in, you know, three hours of rush hour traffic every day. And so when I think about the benefits, right, a holistic benefit to this remote structure, you know, I, you have to take that into consideration as well. Um, how you replicate it. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's communication often it's, you know, light, it's keeping things lighthearted. I mean, there's not going to be a replacement for playing foosball together. Right. But you could do, you know, there's some online, uh, you know, platforms that have spun up in light of COVID that give you a lot of different ideas for things you can do. At the end of the day, I think it depends on your team though, because, you know, if your team, if some of you like to game and some of you don't, or, you know, some of you are into sports, some of you aren't like, you've got different uh, ways that your team communicates well together. And so, you know, I, um, the main reason I have some, uh, some skepticism, you could say about uh, how do we equally get that same level of camaraderie that exists in the office um, is mainly rooted out of last year as things started to lax in certain areas of the country. You know, I was able to get together with my team last year and every single one of my teammates said this has been like the most beneficial time we've been together. And, and a fair bit of those teammates came in during COVID and we had never met person to person. So you know, it's anecdotal, but that wasn't the only in-person meeting I had, had done last year. And, you know, I, I'd say I did six or seven and that was a resounding takeaway. And it's how I, I guess the truth I took away from it was, you know, we've evolved to <laughs> talk and communicate in person with one another. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be difficult to make this a something that you can easily replace, you know, over uh, virtual. Now, we'll see what happens with uh, the metaverse. But, you know, maybe we can we can tap into the same uh, communication framework in our body. Uh, we'll see. There's a lot of smart <laughs> people working on that. But, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's it's a, you got to look at the whole picture, right? If, if there's a lot of benefits, if people are able to spend more time with their families, and I mean, often too, like if they're not having to lose three hours in traffic, like companies also see that as, you know, yeah, someone uh, maybe wouldn't get in the office till 8.30 while they're commuting for an hour and a half in the morning, but now they're on at eight o'clock and they get to actually catch their kids, you know, practice or game by, you know, taking off at 4.30 or something like that. You know, that those benefits to me are, you know, better for each individual uh, within the organization. And we have to take that into consideration. So I wish I had a better answer for you, Adam. <laughs> no, I'm totally with you. Like, I, I don't think there's a way to truly replicate the camaraderie side, camaraderie side of the culture that you can get in person, but like you can, you can try and the thing that, that I've heard over and over again from leaders is that you just have to be more intentional about 
like setting aside the fun time because there's not just a badminton court readily available to go walk over to if you hear some people hooting and hollering. Um, like you, you have to be like, all right, yeah, every other week at 4 p.m. we stop working on Friday and we get on a Zoom call with margaritas and chat about not work. And like that's, it's just about since everybody just lives off of their calendar and goes meeting to meeting from their home office, you, you just have to put in their calendar. This is fun time with your coworkers to get to know them. Um, <laughs> and, no, a hundred percent. I think you're, you're hitting that on the head and, you know, as, as companies don't have to, um, maybe spend the same amount of money on, you know, their, their buildings. If, if they've got a lot of buildings spread out and now we've consolidated some of that expense, you know, then I know one thing we've explored is, you know, is there a cadence that the team should get together, right? Do we, do we have some budget now on the travel side of the house where our teams can get together a couple times a year uh, and make right. sure that they've got that in-person bonding, right? Uh, but yeah, you, what you said, that is something that we saw a lot of over the last year, you know, virtual meetings. We've got a policy of flexible Fridays, um, which is really just a concept of, you know, you do your, your week of work and, you know, presuming you and your manager in alignment, you know, uh, most people maybe take a afternoon off on Friday, but you can, you know, we're a very flexible culture and, you know, that could be, uh, Thursday morning, if, you know, you got to take your kid to a doctor's appointment, for instance, or a dentist appointment, you know, maybe that's your flexible Friday, your, your four hours that, you know, uh, you're able to, to take off. And so that does present some challenges on the Friday one. We've gone with uh, a thirsty Thursday idea here um, that we run on a monthly basis for our solutions engineering uh, department across the whole company, which honestly, as we've acquired a, a fair bit of companies over the last few years, has just created a, a lot of, op- that creates a lot of opportunity to discuss, you know, and get to know people on a more personal level and not, uh, you know, just business focused. So I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, have you ever heard of the game Menti? I have not. So it's a, uh, and I'm sure there's other platforms out similar to it, but after some of our, you know, education sessions we'll have or company meetings, or you can even use it for a more of a fun setting like this, where you can ask questions and then everyone, you know, assigns themselves a, a name in the beginning and the fastest to answer correctly through the most questions, you know, builds their points and oh, like just a, a fun way. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Nice. So um, you know, little things like that on a routine basis and being purposeful, I'd agree. That's that's the best way, I think, that we navigate this now very virtual world. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I, got, I got one more like leadership kind of focus question for you. What's something you're learning right now, something that's challenging you in your day-to-day today? Great question. I am a... I am a podcast uh, junkie, so so I feel like ever since getting into podcasts, uh, as well as I consume a fair bit of audiobooks as well, kind of always learning about a number of different things. So if, if I had to tell you one, I think so. We've been very purposeful in our acquisitions over uh, the last couple of years, and we've really built a compelling suite of solutions that uh, is you know, oriented at, I think, 
creating arguably the most compelling data security suite in uh, the industry. And our MFT platforms, so we've got two of the you know industry-leading MFT platforms in GlobalScape, EFT, and Go Anywhere Managed File Transfer. And they are kind of like the glue, right, that holds and, and makes this whole vision come together. And so over the last, I'd say, six to nine months, as we've seen some of these integrations start happening and come to life, uh, some of my team members uh, that come from different acquisitions are are actively being involved in that. So what I'm learning is trying to balance, I think, the, the right balance of how much do I, you know, um, have them focus on creating these synergies between multiple solutions that create a suite of solutions versus, you know, making sure we're continuing to feed, you know, the, the primary business unit that they operate under. Because at the end of the day, you know, both of these teammates are extremely interested. They're engaged in this. And I think that, you know, after managing people for, you know, going on five and a half years now, it's like one of the keys to being creating a cohesive team and a team that wants to work, you know, together and, and for you and not, you know, I, I don't believe that managers should you know, drop the hammer uh, and tell people what to do. They should make a compelling case for why somebody, you know, uh, may want to look into this, make sure they've got team member engagement and a desire to do it. Uh, ideally, it's their idea. And I'm there to just be a coach, right? Um, I'm there to brainstorm on what is, you know, how does this impact our business for the better, you know, when do we need to get this done? What do I need to do to help you carve out the time to make this happen? And, you know, I think when you have alignment like that, people can do extraordinary things. So Beautiful, that's, man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, from a leadership perspective, you know, you're always learning, but yeah, that's, uh, to me, that's been one of the things that's I've probably been... I, I don't know. I guess I, it has been how I've operated for a number of years. So I don't want to say it's like I'm I'm not learning that brand new, uh, but it's an iterative process, right? You get, uh, I think, better over time in putting people on the right projects, and again, making sure that that they want to own it. And the more autonomy I think that you feel as a as a team member, you know, the better job you want to do, and you know. That's been the formula for my success. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, I want to make sure we get a good shout out to Help Systems. I know you've mentioned you have an awesome growth. Uh, if you're hiring, where can people reach out to you or what What do you want to plug at the end here? Yeah, no, that's a, a phenomenal question. So, um, and I did a little bit of it back there just mentioning, you know, our, our current posture on data security. I mean, data is the new oil, right? We hear that. I uh, have <laughs> been hearing that for years. And, you know, and it's not surprising if you watch like the social dilemma, for instance, and, you know, you understand what data, I guess, the, <laughs> the predictable aspects of, uh, of human nature uh, that many of our big tech companies have been able to you know, leverage and, you know, for, for good and bad, right? Um, 
I, I used to think it was just because these apps had my microphone on. And then when I heard uh, Tristan Harris talk about the, the voodoo doll, right? It's like, that's even scarier that we're so predictable <laughs> that it's not a microphone listening and then giving you ads. You're just that predictable. <laughs> so, um, you know, data being the new oil, I think that what we have been lining uh, you know, up as an organization and in these acquisitions and finding solutions that complement one another and really create a compelling, I'm actually wearing one of my help system shirts here. So it, it reads, keep IT simple. Nice. And um, we've, we've got a, you know, a term of IT uh, transformation is a journey. It's not a destination. And so our goal is to help customers build a better IT. So when I think about help systems and all of you know, the solutions that we bring to the table in terms of data security, email security, you know, secure file transfer, digital rights management, you know, DLP as well, uh, integration. There are uh, a lot of different solutions that we have that work together to help, you know, fill in the bits of that journey. So no matter where a customer's at in this, you know, evolution of their, you know, data security posture, we'll call it, uh, or journey, you know, we can fit in to a number of different areas along that spectrum. We've been in business for 40 years. We're not going anywhere. Uh, and I think that, you know, for me, my teammates are engaged in what they're doing. They're excited. There's all sorts of new tech that we get exposure to. And kind of what I talked about when I was at a much larger company focused on my one little area and getting bored after about a year I don't see that in help systems. There's constantly new people you're meeting, different walks of life that they come from and, and you learn and grow from that. But then the tech that they're bringing in as well just presents a, a never ending opportunity uh, to learn and uh, it provides a ton of uh, spontaneity in every day. So uh, yeah, if you're interested in joining the help systems team, uh, helpsystems.com slash careers, we've got a lot of openings. Um, you know, we're growing fast and, you know, at scale. So uh, look us up if you're interested. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.